Amen. Numbers chapter 32, we've kind of uh, been off our normal course because we were celebrating resurrection. So we went through a few occasions of, as you may recall, we looked at the fact that the Lord is the God, was well, the only God, but he's, his theme, his purpose, his existence is resurrection to restore life to those who have been particularly killed by sin. And then we looked at all of those occasions in the scripture that showed us he has been resurrecting people, Old Testament and New Testament. And then we looked at his resurrection on Resurrection Sunday together. So we're now back in Numbers 32. We had left off with 31 and the continued study and course of the nation of Israel as they're preparing to enter the promised land. It says in verse 1, Now the children of Reuben and the children of Gad had a very great multitude of livestock. And when they saw that the land of Jazer and the land of Gilead, that indeed the region was a place for livestock, the children of Gad and the children of Reuben spoke to Moses, to Eleazar the priest, and to the leaders of the congregation, saying, Adaroth, Dibon, Jazer, Nimrah, Heshbon, Elel, Shebam, Nebo, Beon, the country which the Lord defeated before the congregation of Israel, as a land for livestock. And your servants have livestock. Therefore they said, if we have found favor in your sight, let this land be given to your servant as a possession. Do not take us over the Jordan. You have to understand what a powerful statement those last words are. Right? They've come to this border once before, and they sent in... 12 men to go, and we read the phrase, spy out the land, okay? It's accurate, but in the original language, it has a slightly different tone. It's the idea of surveying, okay? He sent the 12 spies into the land to examine the land because the Lord had already given it to them. And we're going to hear that on a few different levels. It was their possession. And God sent them into the land to measure the land, examine the land, look at the land. And they come back and they, 10 of them, report to the nation of Israel, it's a place of terror. There are giants in there. There's all kinds of problems. If we go in, it's going to be our end. That's what's going to happen. And ten men caused the entire nation's hearts to turn against the will of God, against the plan of God, against the promises of God. This is more than 350,000 men that are now saying, don't take us over the Jordan. The reaction you get from Moses, many commentators say that Moses unnecessarily loses his mind. 
I'm paraphrasing. You, you won't find many commentaries that you know put it in that type of terminology, but he blows his stack. He flips his lid, however you want to describe it. Moses comes unglued right here. Why? Because 10 men literally caused the death of the entire nation previously. Now, more than 350,000 men are saying almost the same thing that the 10 men said previously. The concern is you're going to turn the entire nation one more time, right? It cost them 40 years and the lives of everyone that was 20 years old and older. All of the men that were 20 years old and older, all of them perished in the wilderness because they did not trust the Lord. They're looking at the situation and what was their assessment? We have cows and this is a good place for cows, right? Have you ever made life's assessments that way? You look at your circumstances and think, I need a job, and here's an available job. Oh, I'd like to go to school, and here's an opportunity. No? I'd like a spouse, and here's someone willing. Oh, it gets tricky. It gets tricky when you start gauging your life based upon desire and opportunity. Do you, do you see it that simply? Can you see that in this passage? Desire and opportunity. Have those ever played out bad for you before? <laughs> Desire and opportunity, right? What do we say? Gasoline and matches, right? These th Some things go together perfectly in the wrong way. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, this fits right here. Yeah, in the worst possible way. You got to really weigh these things out. This is why, this is why Paul said to the church at Corinth, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7, we walk by faith, not by sight. That's, that's how a believer lives. You walk by faith, not by sight. And that, that takes a while to figure out how to do, right? takes a while to figure out how to do that. You actually have to go the opposite direction most of the time. Right? Have you ever uh, you know, had to back a vehicle up with a trailer attached to it? Have you ever, have you ever experienced that? And you're backing the vehicle up and like you want it to go over to the right. So you got to do what? Go to the left, right? You got to steer to the left. You steer to the left and it goes to the right. And you overcompensate, don't you? The first few times you do that, you steer to the left, and that thing just jackknifes straight around, and you're all stuck in the yard, and somebody's yelling at you, and you got to straighten the thing back out. So you now you want to go the opposite. And you're doing this left and right madness. It takes quite a while for you to develop the method of guiding that through. Add mirrors to it, it gets even better, right? You know, if you're driving a big box truck that they blow chips into from, you know, shove a tree in the end of the chipper and blow it into the back of the truck and get a little tiny chipper on the back so you can't, like, turn around and see out your back window, you've got to use just your mirrors, and that reverses the whole thing one more time in your mind. The Scripture says that the Word of God is like a mirror, right? The book of James. The man who 
is not a doer of the word. He's simply a hearer of the word. Is like a person who looks in the mirror, sees how terrible he looks, and immediately forgets what he looks like. You know, wake up in the morning and you've slept right on your face, and you know everything is all askew and looking horrible. And you look in the mirror and you're shocked by the appearance, and then walk away and go, no problem, and head right to work. Immediately you forget what it looks like. You look at the Word of God, and it says something to you, about you, that's difficult to take. But as soon as you look away from the Word and walk out the door, you forget what you look like and go right back to your other behavior. Consider consider the process of learning what it's like to walk through life where everything is backwards and you have to gauge every movement according to the mirror that is the Word of God. There are some challenges in learning the process. Do not become discouraged. Right? Don't, don't just throw in the towel and say it's much easier to gauge things according to the appetites of my flesh and the opportunities that present themselves. Really dangerous to do that. Really bad to do that. And here's, here's the thing I really want you to concentrate on. Right? If you don't get anything else, just encapsulate this first few minutes of my sermon. Take this home and live by this. You affect other people with those decisions. Ten men steered a whole nation into death. 350,000 plus right here. Imagine their influence on the people. Imagine their influence. Consider your influence, right? All right, no, we'll go a little further with it. Did you watch your parents closely when they were growing up? Did you see their flaws? Did you find their hypocrisy? And then did you exaggerate it? Well, if they can do that, then I can do, right? Guess what? There's some spectators watching you right now. They're seeing how you and I behave. It's a really heartbreaking thing to turn around and see a little person doing the same thing you've done. That's wrong. It's challenging. Consider how you affect other people in the process here. The beautiful thing is, right, fight through it. Learn the process. Learn how to gauge this. I, I, the mirror backup trick, I learned that working for main tree service. Backing the truck up with the chipper attached. Boy, drove myself absolutely crazy and my boss absolutely bonkers for the first month. And before I got done working for Rick, Rick would haul people out of the seat and say, get out of the way, let Will do that. Thread the thing right down across somebody's property right where we needed to be. You can learn the process of dying to yourself. You want to succeed Right? You've got to lose. You want to live, you've got to die. Right? You want to be the greatest, you've got to become the servant. This kingdom is backwards. The processes are reversed. You must learn to live by faith, not by sight. I said the first three minutes, I just took up like ten. But anyway, verse six, I'll try to move on. 
Moses said to the children of Gad and the children of Reuben, and, and, and just so we get this out of the way, this is Reuben and Gad, and it's going to become half the tribe of Manasseh also. Okay, So the influence immediately spreads and grows, and Moses is doing everything he can to stamp out this whole process. Moses said to the children of Gad, the children of Reuben, Shall your brethren go to war while you sit here? Now why will you discourage the heart of the children of Israel from going over into the land which the Lord has given them? The Lord has already given it to them. Why are you adding discouragement? Thus your fathers did when I sent them away from Kadesh Barnea to see the land. That was the spying out surveying I referred to. For when they went up to the valley of Eshkol and saw the land, they discouraged the heart of the children of Israel so that they did not go into the land which the Lord had given them. So the Lord's anger was aroused on that day, and he swore an oath, saying, Surely none of the men who came up from Egypt from 20 years old and above shall see the land of which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, because they have not wholly followed me, except Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite. Note that. Have you ever noticed before that Caleb is not an Israelite? He joined them, right? And he's got a heart that's stronger for the promises of the nation of Israel than Israel itself has. He recognizes the faithfulness of God. And Joshua, the son of Nun, for they were wholly followed the Lord. Complete abandon, total following. Listen, <clears throat> there's lots of things in life that are good, okay? Education, awesome. College, wonderful, right? Business, great. Careers, praise God. All kinds of one Family, right? There's all kinds of opportunities that are astounding, wonderful opportunities that the Lord provides and helps provide but they can be things that cause your heart to fall away from being wholly committed to him. That, that's what has to be in place, right? The apostles are wrestling with this issue. The debate has come up about, you know, follow me. And one guy says, I just bought a team of oxen. And another guy says, oh, I'd love to, but I'm about to get married. And another man says, well, let me wait until my parents have passed away. And then I'll be able to come follow you. All kinds of different earthly commitments that seemingly are good. And Jesus rebukes each one of them. The apostles then raise the question about what's our deal? We've left everything and followed you. And Jesus there gives a wonderful summary. We are all familiar with it probably where he says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these things will be added unto you. You want to go to college? You want to get married? You want to have all those things? Wonderful. Great. Good plans. Great ideas. Follow through with them. Make sure. 
that the one thing you are wholeheartedly committed to above anything else is your relationship with the Lord. Where I run into trouble with this personally as a pastor, okay, helping guide other people, is people will come to me and say things like, oh, God's presented this opportunity, I'm going to go away, I'm going to take this job in such a, such a state, or I'm going to college, or I'm going to this, or I'm going to that. And I say, great, where are you going to church? And they go, I, 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 don't, I don't know. And I'm immediately very concerned that you're going to reconstruct your whole life, but you have made no thought and no provision for what you're going to do about your commitment to the Lord and your relationship with the Lord. That's really, really dangerous. Really dangerous to do that. If you haven't gone and checked out the churches in that location, you know, and found one where you're like, yeah, this place ministers to me. That's a good plan right there. I can sink my teeth into that. If you haven't done that first thing, there, there's a lot of danger, right? I, I have talked to people who are like, well, I looked through the phone book and there are 12 churches right in the area. Yeah. Right, there are 12. You know that there are 37 churches in the greater Ellsworth area? Right? I've sat in many of them. I can recommend four of them to you right now, and that's it. That's it. I've sat in many of them. Some of them I've walked in and in seconds thought, this is not a church, and walked right out the door. They, they aren't teaching the word of God. They aren't following the Lord of their lives. You know, all of the things that make up a church aren't happening there. Needs to be that the priority in your life is your relationship with the Lord. Everything else falls in line in obedience to that. These people are like cows, pasture, perfect. Plan of the Lord's on the other side of the Jordan, folks. That's where God's promises lie. Listen, if you've read this account... And you know, right, I'll put it this way, right? And you know everything sort of plays out all right for Reuben and Gad and half the tribe of Manasseh. Then Reuben and Manasseh and Gad have discouraged you from following the plans of the Lord because they don't play out all right for them. We'll examine the fact that they're on the eastern side of the Jordan River. So as the sin creeps in and the nations begin to invade, they're the first to go down. Because they're on the other side of the river. They're not inside the protective borders of Israel. They're the first to be carried away into captivity. They're the ones that hard fall the hardest and the deepest into sin and they return from their captivity with idolatry amongst them because they chose to choose for themselves where they wanted God's promises to be fulfilled in their lives. So if you were thinking, well, didn't work out that bad, you know, why is the pastor making a big deal about it? It did work out badly, and if you had that in your mind before you read this or when I get done, then their influence has affected you thousands of years later. Their compromise 
is a terrible testimony in this process. Jeremiah, the prophet, right at the end of all of this failure for the nation of Israel, hundreds of thousands of years after this, he says, Jeremiah chapter 9, verse 23, thus says the Lord, Let not the wise man glory in his wisdom, let not the mighty man glory in his might, nor let the rich man glory in his riches. But let him who glories glory in this, that he understands and knows me. That, that is quite a thought. The one thing we should be focused on is whether we know the Lord, that I am the Lord, exercising loving kindness, judgment, righteousness on the earth. For in these I delight, says the Lord. Make sure your delight is in the Lord. Numbers chapter 32, verse 13. So the Lord's anger was aroused against Israel. He made them wander. This is Moses recounting. He made them wander in the wilderness 40 years until all the generation that had done evil in the sight of the Lord was gone. And look, you have risen in your father's place a brood of sinful men to increase still more the fierce anger of the Lord against Israel. For if you turn away from following him, you will once again Leave them in the wilderness, and you will destroy all these people. You will do that. If you influence this nation with simply not desiring the Lord's promises properly, you're going to lead this nation into destruction one more time. Philippians chapter 3, verse 13 says, Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended But one thing I do, I forget those things which are behind, reaching forward to the things which are ahead. I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, let us, as many as are mature, have this mind. If in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal even this to you. Have you failed? Have I brought up your past indirectly? Are you sitting here thinking, yep, that was me. Forget that. Move on. This nation at this juncture should look at where the failure occurred behind them and say, never again. I'm going to move forward and I'm not going to repeat this failure. And that's exactly what Paul is saying. You're going to have certain things that beset you, that you fall too easily. When you do that, when you recognize that about yourself, as you're about to tip over again, stop yourself right there, correct the circumstances, and take the steps that you know are proper. Take the steps you know that are proper. Verse 16, back in Numbers 32. Then they came near to him and said, We will build sheepfolds here for our livestocks and cities for our little ones, but we ourselves will be armed, ready to go before the children of Israel until we have brought them to their place. And our little ones will dwell in fortified cities because 
of the inhabitants of the land. We will not return to our homes until every one of the children of Israel has received his inheritance. For we will not inherit with them on the other side of the Jordan and beyond. Do you see how definitively they speak about these things? We have and we will and we will not. There's, there's, there's very little room for God to have an opinion in this. Right? I've already accepted the job. I've already taken the position. I've already packed the house. Right? I've already received a student loan. I've already, I've already, I've committed. I've done, I've done. I can't, I won't, I will not. Consider, consider the process. There are some serious things to consider in all of this. We're going to go. Because our inheritance has fallen to us on the eastern side of the Jordan. No, it hasn't. They've chosen it for themselves on the eastern side of the Jordan. They haven't even drawn lots. That's how that's all going to go down later. They're going to conquer the land, and everybody's going to sit down in a mighty council, and they're going to weigh out all of the land, and then they're going to draw by lots, and this one goes to you, and that one goes to you, and this one goes to you, and that one goes to you. It hasn't fallen to them. They've chosen for themselves their own place. They haven't waited upon the Lord. Again, these two and a half tribes are the first to be captured and carried away in captivity because they were on those eastern shores. Verse 20, then Moses said to them, if you do this thing, if you arm yourselves before the Lord for war and all your armed men cross over the Jordan before the Lord until he has driven out his enemies from before him and the land is subdued before the Lord. Then afterward you may return and be blameless before the Lord and before Israel. This land shall be your possession before the Lord. But if you do not do this, then take note. You have sinned against the Lord and be sure your sin will find you out. Be sure your sin will find you out. That doesn't mean God is going to just wrench you to the front of the crowd, strip you naked, stand you there and say, everyone look at this. Failure. That's not what's going to happen. It's the idea that your sin is going to sneak up on you and attack you. That's what that means. Be sure that your sin will find you. It will sneak up on you. And it will attack you when you least expect it. I have developed friendships with a number of police officers since I've stopped being a criminal 32 years ago. Great friends. I was talking to one of them many years ago now. He was telling me about a break-in in Bangor that had occurred. And they arrive, and immediately everyone stops outside the property because there's a set of tire tracks through the freshly fallen snow. And they're like, oh, brilliant. We'll be able to get some evidence from these tire tracks. So everybody's concentrating on tire tracks and don't disturb the tire tracks. And they're looking into what has been stolen from the business. Only one employee had driven in, and he'd gone inside and found things missing. And so... They're going to do this investigation in the middle of it. My friend Paul says, oh, never mind with the tire tracks. We'll just uh, take a photograph of this imprint of the number plate that's right here in this snowbank. 
And they just drove to the guy's house and arrested him. Be sure your sins will find you out. You leave your mark in certain places, and then the sin itself just comes to roost. And you turn around and find it's right in your environment. Nobody has to publicly declare anything to you or embarrass you. There's an old story. It was published in a newspaper about a young man who had gone away to college. And uh, he had his mother come over. And uh, in visiting, she was kind of startled that he had a roommate who was an extremely attractive girl. And this young man set to convincing his mother of, there's nothing going on between us. We're not living together. I'm a good Christian boy. And uh, we're just roommates, Mom. That's all there is to this. And, you know, Mom was wary, not completely convinced. And so she spent the day with them and had dinner, and they you know, left. And uh, shortly after she left, the uh, roommate says, Hey, you know, I had a solid silver gravy ladle that was given to me by my mother that we used at dinner. And your mom left, and that gravy ladle is missing. So I'm not saying your mom took it, but, I mean, it was here, and now it's not here. So you think your mom might have taken that? Back in the days of letter writing, this young man, after a few days, composed a very thoughtful letter, wrote it, and sent it to his mom to just say, hey, not saying you did take the ladle, not saying you didn't, but it was here at dinner, and now that you've gone, the ladle's not here, and it's been many days, and we still can't find it, so if you know where the ladle is, could you just tell us? And the mother writes a letter back, and it arrives days later, and she, in the letter, says, not saying you're sleeping with your girlfriend or not sleeping with your girlfriend, but if your girlfriend was sleeping in her own room, she would have found that silver ladle under her pillow by now. So, you know, <laughs> just say it. Your sins will find you out. They do sneak up on you. And the thing is, even when the rest of the world doesn't know, you know. And it will cost you in the process. And that's exactly what the Lord is saying here. Not that I'm going to embarrass you. The Lord isn't saying I'm going to drag you out in the open. Nothing like that. What he's saying is it's going to hunt you down. And it's going to affect you. So consider, consider what's being said here. I'm going to build cities for your little ones and folds for your sheep and do what has proceeded out of your mouth. Not out of God's plan, not out of God's promises, what has come out of your mouth. What's most unfortunate about this, you guys, right here in the immediate, is they're going to have to go to war for seven years. You're going to leave your little ones at home for seven years? Seven-year-old Johnny's going to be 14 years old when you come home? Okay. 
you're already making this big of a commitment to the circumstance. Why not just invest wholeheartedly with everybody else? Why not, why not just finish the day and go home to little Johnny and say, you won't believe what the Lord did in our midst today? Let me tell you all, you're going you're gonna to be away for seven years? Consider how that might effect. The children of Gad, the children of Reuben spoke to Moses saying, your servants will do as my Lord commands. Our little ones, our wives, our flocks, all our livestock will be there in the cities of Gilead. But your servants will cross over, every man armed for war before the Lord to battle, just as my Lord says. James chapter 4, verse 17 says, Therefore to him who knows to do good and does not do it, to him it is sin. If you know what you should do and you don't do it, that's sin. Right? This is the Lord not saying to them, look, listen, hear this. This is not God saying to them, do not do those things because it is sinful and I will discipline you. God is saying to all of these people, hey, you must do these things because if you do not, it is sin. This is God encouraging them to do what's right. This is not God in discouraging them away from what is wrong. This is him encouraging them into the right thing. And they're choosing rather to do their own will. Choosing rather <clears throat> to try and fulfill their promises. I don't have time. You don't have time. But I'll ask you to write down, make note of Mark chapter 5 verses 1 through 17. And I'll just give you as condensed a reminder as I can that Gilead, this location, becomes the land of the Gadareans. Right? Do you, do you remember, right, the tribe of Gad? Do you remember the account of Jesus arriving in the land of the Gadareans? What is he met with? Demon-possessed man. Crazy man who's breaking chains and freaking out the neighborhood and, and living naked amongst the tombs. Just total mental case. What else is present? Pigs. Pigs. They've moved from cattle to pigs. They're herding and keeping pigs. Israelites, not keeping sheep. Not food, which is kosher, right? They are keeping pigs. Everybody likes bacon, but listen. It's not part of God's plan, right? Demon-possessed men and pig herds is not part of God's plan. I mean, acceptable socially, right? but not part of God's plan. Acceptable to live in this territory, but not God, part of God's plan. And, and their Messiah arrives, and what do they say to their Messiah? Go away! <laughs> Go away! Not just that they're going to examine him and see, and they're not sure about him and let him prove himself. Their reaction is, Go away! That's, and that's after Jesus has cast out the demons. You got the crazy guy living naked amongst the tombs, scaring the kids, freaking out the whole neighborhood. Jesus comes in, fixes that guy, and now they're yelling, go away. 
they're not in the right place spiritually at all. As a whole, as a people, because they did not say, all right, look, we got our own plans, but they don't line up with your plans. So we're just going to shut up and do what you tell us to do. We're going to follow your plan rather than our own plan. They follow their own plan. And down through the centuries, it produces horrible circumstances for the entire community. That can be you. That can be you and whoever's in your proximity. It can be you and your family. It can be you and everyone you influence. You want to seriously consider what this level of compromise does in your life. Does in your life. The pain it produces in your life will be greatly exaggerated when it's lived out in the lives of everyone that you influence. Back to Numbers 32, verse 28. So Moses gave command concerning them to Eliezer the priest, to Joshua the son of Nun, to the chief fathers of the tribes of the children of Israel. And Moses said to them, If the children of Gad, the children of Reuben, cross over the Jordan with you, every man armed for battle before the Lord, and the land is subdued before you, then you shall give them the land of Gilead as a possession. But if they do not cross over armed with you, they shall have possessions among you in the land of Canaan. Then the children of Gad and the children of Reuben answered, saying, As the Lord has said to his servants, so we will do. We will cross over arm before the Lord in the land of Canaan, but the possessions of our inheritance shall remain with us on this side of the Jordan. The number of ways that this has application in our own lives is countless. But, but the summary, the illustration really is that simple. God has a plan. He's going to show you that plan, listen, listen, through his word. Right? He's spoken his word beginning with Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, down through the generations. They've recorded it in the scripture, and they all have in their hands God's word that says, this is God's promise, this is God's plan for your lives. These people come right up next to God's plan and say, we're going we're gonna to fulfill our own plan right here next to God's plan. We're going we're gonna to even mimic God's plan in our plan. But, but it's going to be our plan, not God's plan. We're going to make our own plan. It's going to look a lot like God's plan, but, but it's going to be our plan. Not God's plan. Really, really treacherous. Really, really dangerous. Really, really destructive to everyone that was involved in this process. And, and listen, when, when, when this is our mindset, we still have to engage in every single battle that every other believer has to engage in. Why not just step over the threshold into God's plan? Why not just cross over? Hey, there's another little picture. I'm not going to expand on it too much, but it's really quite interesting. The New Testament tells us 
when the nation of Israel crossed through the Red Sea, that they were baptized with Moses in the Red Sea. They're about to cross the Jordan with Joshua. What's, what's that symbolized? If crossing out of their slavery through the Red Sea into the process of dying to their flesh symbolized baptism into Christianity, baptized into the faith, then what does crossing the Jordan River into the promised land symbolize? I'll give it to you. It symbolizes being baptized in the Holy Spirit. Now, if, if you go up, I've been in those churches. They speak in tongues and roll around on the floor. It's crazy. I don't want nothing to do with that. Good. Good, because that's not what the scripture records for us. Jesus said, I want you to wait in Jerusalem until you have been baptized in the Holy Spirit. I'm paraphrasing here. Until you've been baptized in the Holy Spirit so that you would be filled with power in order to be my witnesses. The two things that will be present in the life of a person who has been baptized in the Holy Spirit. You may speak in tongues, don't get me wrong, okay? That may happen for you. That still happens to this day. You may not speak in tongues. Here's the deal. This is what will happen if you are baptized in the Spirit you will fall in love with God in a way you never have before. Right? You will fulfill those two commandments that Jesus said the rest of the commandments were summarized in. You will love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, and mind, and thereby you will love your neighbor as yourself. Those things will be fulfilled in your life if you cross over into the victorious life. See, because the nation of Israel crosses over that Jordan River and then they conquer their enemies. Are there things that dominate your life? Sins. Places you wanted to take possession of years ago and they just kicked your butt and you had no victory. If that's where you're at, the thing that's missing is that baptism of the Holy Spirit. You left the bondage you were in. You left the way you were living. You left Egypt, as it were, where the slave master of sin was ruling you day and night. And you said, I want to be a Christian. Red Sea. He came out the other side. And you saw God's provision. And you saw him in your environment. And you saw all kinds of wonderful things happening. But you still had your own plans. And you still had your own earthly appetites. And you didn't cross over into conquering God's enemies. You gotta, you gotta experience both baptisms. I mean, how about this, you guys? What does it symbolize that Reuben and Gad and half the tribe of Manasseh cross over and cross back? Uh, that's painful to even consider cross over into the spirit and fight the battles and then cross back into what you've chosen in this world as your own possession that's painful to consider i say pack the bags burn everything to the ground cross the jordan and live in god's promises 
Live in the place he called you to. Yeah. There aren't pastures in the promised land. We got cows. Look, there are pastures right here. Does that remind, okay, the, the students that have studied a lot, does that remind you of anyone that you've read about in the past, before this occasion? No? How about Lot? Right? How about Lot and Abraham? Abraham's like, I'll just fulfill God's promise, whatever it is. Just point the way. I'll go do that. What do you want to do, Lot? Lot's like, I want to live really close to Sodom and Gomorrah. Looks awesome. <laughs> Light, Ferris wheel. I'm into it, you know. Consider the illustration that's being made here. What the Lord might be saying to each one of us. Verse 33, so Moses gave to the children of Gad, the children of Reuben, half the tribe of Manasseh, the sons of Joseph, the kingdom of Sihon, king of the Amorites, kingdom of Og, king of Bashan, land with its cities within the borders, the cities of the surrounding country, the children of Gad built Dibon, Adaroth, Eror, Adaroth, Sophon, Jazer. These are all names you can win Scrabble with. Jogbaha, Beth Nimra, Beth Haran, fortified cities, folds for sheep. The children of Reuben built Heshbon, Ilel, Kerjeth Am, Nebo, Baal, Meon, these names being changed. Shibma, and they gave other names to the cities which they had built. Here's another, here's another illustrative view of this, you guys. These are the places they've already conquered. Right? How that works in the life of a Christian, in the life of a believer, is I want to leave Egypt. I don't want to be in my sin. I don't want to be in bondage. I've crossed over. I've wandered. Flesh has died. Now I've conquered a certain territory, which isn't the promises of God, but I'm content with this level of conquest. I don't want to go any further with the conquest. I, I just, whew, that was tough. And I'm just, let's settle down right here. Right? Are you a spiritual homebody that way? that likes to just hang the sword of yesteryear over the mantle, take it down every now and then and talk about the great victories you had with this, and then put it right back up there. The sword of conquest needs to be active. Current, present day, not yesteryear, not long ago, not war stories. Go out and get some more scars, you know what I mean? Go out, go out and get wounded for Christ. Go out and see things conquered in his name. Take more ground. If you were skilled enough to conquer these guys, then use your skills to go out and conquer more. Now, I did that, but I also got defeated. <laughs> you know? I lost a bunch in those fights. I don't want to lose anymore. I want to stay right here where it's safe. Oh, you're going to battle? I'll go with you. I want to come right back here when we're done and hide in my home. Hide in my pasture. we got to engage. Have you noticed that the world has gone mad outside your door? Right? Have you noticed that it looks like the devil's taken over? He hasn't. Our king is still on the throne, but man, his influences are afoot, are they not? Everywhere you look. It's not time to rest on our laurels, brothers and sisters. 32, 39. 
The children of Michar, the sons of Manasseh, went to Gilead, took it, disposed the Amorites who were there. So Moses gave Gilead to Michar, the sons of Manasseh, and he dwelt in it. Also, Jair, the son of Manasseh, went and took its small towns and called them Havoth Jair. Then Noba went, took Kenneth and its villages, and they called it Noba after his own name. It's a wonderful victory. It's a wonderful blessing, but it is actually a discouragement. When, when you view it through God's lens, it's a discouragement. You know, I've, I've talked to Christians who have been this way. I was in church. I've been in churches. And that church split. And so-and-so trashed me. And I had the gossip and the rumors and the scars and the wounds. And I'll sit down and listen and say, it's horrible. You're right. You're absolutely right. It has been terrible. Now, are you ready to arm yourself and move on? There's more territory. There's more people. There's more souls to win to the Lord. And we have to. We have to move on. That, begin, that begins in your own life. You understand it? Right? Because if you're, if you're thinking like, yeah, I'll just get involved. Your own life is what this is about. These people are taking possessions for themselves in places that they don't belong in. Don't allow that compromise in your life. Let God have his conquest. Let God have his victory. So that the places that you're engaging yourself as a Christian in the fight, in the battle, are where you dwell. Not in those comforts you've created for yourself. In the conquest that Christ is currently carrying on. Does that make sense to us all this morning? Yes? Amen? Amen. Let's stand and we'll pray. Father God, we are grateful for your love and your graciousness, and we ask that you would minister to us. Help us to follow you in obedience. Lord, help us. It's so easy for us to be complacent. So easy for us to find the place that makes us comfortable. Help us to... Be in your word to search daily for your plan, for your plan of attack, for your plan of conquest, for your plan of victory. That we could see ground one, not, not just for your kingdom, for ourselves. Ground that would give us so much more than whatever our plans were. Fill us with your spirit. Give us your strength. Lend us your strength. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.